collection. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Hubert. And I guess the King's kids, kids can go now. And I don't believe we have Spanish translation today. Uh, both of our translators are serving in other ministries. So uh, we should be back on track with that soon. So we're in the Gospel of John chapter 18. So if you could turn to John 18, we are going to cover two verses today, 34 to 36. John 18, <clears throat> verses 34 to 36. Getting into the nitty-gritty here of the conversation between Pontius Pilate and Jesus. This is uh, Jesus' trial. He's before Pilate. He's been delivered by the Jews. They're asking Pilate to kill him. Pilate is uh, asking him about this accusation. Why do they want to kill you? Are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? We talked about what that terminology meant last week, both to the Jews and to Pilate. But today we get into the actual dialogue, which is super interesting um, uh, because it does speak about uh, the kingdom of God, which is a very controversial topic uh, in the world of uh, Christendom. There's many views on it. And so today we're going to try to unpack that and see what Jesus meant by it. So let me read the chapter or read the verse to you. Um, after he'd asked him if he's king of the Jews in verse 34, Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And so, Lord, I just ask for your blessing over this teaching today, God, that you would guide me and that you would guide the, the hearts, uh, all of our hearts, to be able to receive this. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, when you read the word kingdom, or you hear the word kingdom, or the phrase kingdom of God, what comes to your mind? If you were to ask a bunch of Christians on the street or as they come out of church, I would say the most popular answer would be that the kingdom of God is heaven. The kingdom of God is heaven, and it's a place where Christians go when they die. So Christians die, and they go off to the kingdom of God. Second, <clears throat> to that first answer, heaven would be that the kingdom of God is in our heart. And partially that is true. But when some see or think of God's kingdom, they see it solely as an initiative that's taken from the heart. Or it's, I'm sorry, it's authoritative in the heart of the believer solely. What would you say to that? Notice the word solely. Is the kingdom of God solely an invisible kingdom? Is it solely in the heart? Others, when they see the word kingdom, it's something altogether otherworldly. I'm not sure where it's at, but I know it's not here. It's up there somewhere. It's out of this time-space continuum. And also, it's a future thing. The kingdom of God is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. We can really get into it. Some people see the kingdom as altogether past. There's some that mix the two. But primarily a futuristic, otherworldly kingdom is what is most popular. Something that we'll only see in heaven or when Jesus returns. Now, this is the funny thing. You would think that something that is mentioned, the word kingdom is mentioned over 160 times. In the New Testament alone, the phrase kingdom of God, now out of that 160, kingdom of God is used 65 times in the New Testament. Kingdom of heaven is used 32 times. The gospel of the kingdom is used four times. And these all mean the same thing as we'll get to. Jesus mentioned the kingdom of God i.e. kingdom of heaven, gospel of the kingdom, more than anyone. 
It was the core of his teaching. Yet despite all this usage of kingdom and kingdom of God by Jesus and the New Testament writers, not only are Christians unsure exactly what the concept of kingdom or kingdom of God means or is, but many assume, as I said, it's a place, heaven, it's solely in the heart, it's invisible, or it's otherworldly. Now, coincidentally, our passage today is the proof text that many of those people use to prove that the kingdom is otherworldly and to prove that the kingdom is only in the heart and to prove that the kingdom is only in heaven. This is the proof text. Now, what is a proof text? A proof text is saying that this one doctrine can lay itself down on this text alone. This is where we get this doctrine from primarily of those uh, concepts that I spoke to you about. Jesus is going to bring this kingdom in at the time of the future, or maybe he won't bring it. He's definitely going to bring it at the time of the future, but in the meantime, where is it? So properly understood, this passage, and I should say that the entirety of Scripture agrees with this, that the kingdom of God is for the here and now. And yes, it is in the human heart, but it also extends beyond the human heart. You know, I have to say that the information that I'm going to give you today from the scriptures, when I first discovered this and and it sank in, it was a complete paradigm shift for me, a complete shift in my thinking but a shift that caused me to be extremely overwhelmingly joyful in Jesus Christ because of what it actually meant to Jesus to say these words and to the New Testament writers. I have to say a proper understanding of this passage alone could determine how you perceive the entire scripture. It's actually a hermeneutic, a, a way to interpret the scripture is dependent upon how you view the kingdom of God. Think about that. If it's totally, totally future, it's not something that we have to really be concerned about now. If it's just in the heart, well, it just depends upon me. It doesn't have any repercussions out there. So I've also believed, secondly, that this concept of the kingdom of God, it's not just an ancillary sort of doctrine that stays over here, or what a lot of people like to call a non-essential doctrine. It's definitely not something that I believe we should divide over. Some of you here may not agree with with, uh, this interpretation that I'm going to give you today, and that's fine. But I do ask that you consider it, and I do ask that you think about it, because I uh, seriously, because I believe it also determines your view of the gospel, your view of the extent of the gospel, your view of the purpose of the gospel, and most importantly, your view of the power of the gospel for this world. And for this very reason, we're probably going to camp out on this verse or this passage for a couple of weeks because I I didn't want to shove it all into today because I want you to really be able to grasp this concept Go home and search the scriptures to see, in fact, if these things are true. And then we'll sort of build on it as we go. So today, I'm going to have to borrow from a couple future sermons to get you to get the right context here. But today, we are going to talk about what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And I guess if you wanted to call this a series, it would be, what is the kingdom of God? That would be for today. Where is the kingdom of God? And when is the kingdom of God? So today we're going to talk about part one, what is the kingdom of God? <clears throat> now, we, it's very simple. If somebody talks about a kingdom in our vernacular, what do we usually think about? Maybe we think about some of the monarchs over in Europe, how they are the king of 
the England or the Queen of England or certain many countries have kings and have queens. And we, we really grasp that whole entire idea. We get it. They're the king. They're in charge for the most part. A lot of the kings have other, like in, in, the, in England, they have a parliament and they have sort of a uh, people, uh, other branches of government that keep the king in check. He can't be like King James of the past and he's ruling over everything. But we, we get it. We say, hey, that kingdom is there. When you're in that kingdom, you behave according to that kingdom's rules. And all of the kingdoms of the world have a purpose. But yet with the kingdom of God, despite the way that it's, it's used so many times, because of the way that we've been ingrained in our uh, perception of it, I guess it should, I should say it, our theology of the kingdom, um, we don't see the, the impact and the effect that it has when it's put in its, per, in, in its place. Because after all, we know ultimately the kingdom's going to come when Jesus returns. How important can it be for now? What are we supposed to do? Jesus isn't here. We don't see him physically. Yes, we know he's sovereign. We know he reigns. But you know what I think is really funny is that we have no problem thinking about the kingdom of Satan, do we? We'll talk about that all the time. Yet Satan isn't here rolling on a throne physically, yet we know he is at work. We know that he operates within this realm and this domain. So what is the kingdom of God? Before I'm able to, and again, we talked a lot about kingship last week, king of the Jews. So I want to sort of piggyback onto that with my first point. And this first point needs to be where it's at because in order to understand the kingdom of God, you must grasp this very first point. And that is the kingdom of God is the framework and the climax of Israel's story. The kingdom of God is the climax and the framework of Israel's story. What is framework? Framework is what we do to build. We, 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 if we were going to build a home, we have to put out down frames and we have to pour concrete. We have to build that foundation before we build on top of it. But what about the climax of the story? You see, this book, this Bible, is a story that's going somewhere. Israel's story from the very beginning is going off somewhere to a per- for a purpose. The kingdom of God is the end goal, the climax of the story of Israel. It's the expectation of Israel. It's what they lived for. It's why they celebrated Passover. It's why they went to Jerusalem three times a year for the feasts. It's why they said, you know, we'll put up with Caesar. We'll put up with all this because when the Messiah comes and institutes his kingdom, the new age will begin. What is that new age? The new age of peace and prosperity for the people of Israel. Now, God, Jesus, he fulfilled that, but in a different kind of way than they expected, as we've been talking about. But for the Jews, it would have been a new age of freedom, a new age of justice, and a new age of peace. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he came. But you see, they believe that this kingdom, this, this whole entire effect of the kingdom would reverberate through the whole entire world. And Israel would finally be, as God promised, the, the light of the world. The Israel would have their God overseeing the world as it was meant to be from the very beginning because God promised it. But the big problem was, as they waited for this new exodus, this new time where God would miraculously take them out of bondage, the problem was they were supposed to be the vehicle to bring forth this kingdom, but yet they were unable to do it because they failed. See, Israel was to make the world right, but they needed to be made right first. Because they were in sin. They have rejected God. And they were waiting. The kingdom of God 
is the climax of Israel's story in the framework. So they're waiting for this story to end. They're waiting for this story to come to a point, I should say. And that happened when God would come. That's when they knew the kingdom would, that new age would begin. Listen to Malachi 3.1. We know this. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, John the Baptist, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. See, that's what the king was going to do. When the king came back, he was going to rebuild or finish or appropriately make the temple what it's supposed to be. And of course, you should be thinking of the words of Jesus. Tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus is the walking temple. The place where God and man will meet in that temple is now no longer the building. It's Jesus Christ. Everything that was happening in the temple is now happening in Jesus. Where did people go for, to prayer? They went to the temple. Now Jesus is saying, I want you to, to worship me as God. Where did people go to get healed? To the temple. Now Jesus is going out and he's the one healing. He's bringing the presence of God out because as he said personally over 110 times, the kingdom of God is here. <clears throat> Psalm 10 verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his hand. All through the Old Testament, Psalm 47, he's a great king over the earth. Psalm 96, Yahweh is king. So this is what the Jewish people expected. They expected for all the prophecies to be fulfilled, like Isaiah 40, verses 9 to 11. Here is your God, say to the cities of Judah. Behold, the Lord will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. These are all things that Jesus continually spoke, both uh, in parables, cryptically, and, and just he said it outright that this is who he was. I am the good shepherd. That was kingdom royal language. Look at Psalm 23. <clears throat> Look at Psalm 24 and 25 as well. This is the king finally coming in. Now we see in the New Testament, <clears throat> the gospel of John, which we are going through, in John 1.14 is another Really incredible verse. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the stuff that happened only at the temple. That's why John used that word dwelt. It's a very unique word, <clears throat> which means tabernacled or templed. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. This is king language. The king would return and build and rebuild that temple. It's why the entire theme of New Testament preaching in the book of Acts as well. And it's assumed through all the epistles. Look at Acts 17, 7. There's another king. You don't say this stuff flippantly. This isn't the king of their heart. This is a new sovereign ruler that's trumping Caesar. You don't go to Rome. You don't go in the Roman provinces and say there's another king. You just don't do that unless, it's the, unless you really mean it because it could mean your life. Acts 19.8, <clears throat> Paul entered the synagogue. He spoke out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading people on how to get to heaven when they die. That's never mentioned. Not even once is the word heaven mentioned in the book of Acts. He reasoned and persuaded them about the kingdom of God. You see, we're so heavenly focused. We're so, we've, been, we've been told so many times that the ultimate goal about Jesus is to get you to heaven. Oh, that's, that's little chips and salsa. That's good. But that's the first course. The second course is the resurrection. The third course is the fullness of the kingdom of God. And as we're going to see first, before that heaven can even happen, that kingdom has to be put in place. 
When they had set a day for Paul, they came to his, to his lodging, and he was explaining to them, solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God. You see, who's the, who's the writer of Acts? Luke. I think one really cool thing to do is stop looking at Luke and Acts as two different books in your personal reading. Look at them as one book. And they were written all at the same time. So if you read through, or just if you're you're busy, just read the last chapter of Luke and then the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And then go to the first chapter of Luke, chapter 1. And then go to the last chapter of the book of Acts. And guess what it's about? The king being born in chapter 1. And at the end of the book of Acts, the very last verse, Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters. He was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Luke is telling us a story here. This is the king that I was talking about in the beginning. And now guess what? that he is in the capital of the world in Rome as a prisoner, doing what? Preaching a new kingdom. That's absolutely crazy and bizarre to think that as a first test, uh, as a, uh, a New Testament Jewish believer in that culture is bizarre. Unless he means what he says, and I believe that he does. You see, <clears throat> Israel framed their world with the kingdom of God. What do we frame our world with most of the time? This is what I used to do. It was just about me and my salvation. Me and me getting to heaven. Me and my personal devotion to God. Very important. Don't get me wrong. Everything to have personal devotion to God. But when we take all of that stuff and we frame our salvation with the kingdom, then everything changes. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about now at this very moment. If we go to verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Wow, the kingdom's otherworldly. If my kingdom were of this world, and it wasn't otherworldly, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So Jesus uses two words to describe where his kingdom is. And I'm borrowing from our, where is the kingdom of God for next week? But I need you to know this so that you can understand why what I'm telling you should be greatly considered. First of all, if you look this, this is what the homework I want you to do. I want you to get out your lexicon or go to the internet website, the website that you use to look at the Greek translations and look at my kingdom is not of this world. And you will see that the translators picked a word that was probably third in line, in my opinion, that should have been used because the right proper translation of this is my kingdom in the Greek is not out of this world. It's not out of. The source of my kingdom is not from this world. And that's the secondary translation is from. So you have out of, you'll see first, from, and I believe that the King James at the time, the word of probably was a good choice in their vernacular, But when we think of it's not of this world, my kingdom is not of this world, we're thinking, you know, I'm not of freehold. Oh, so you're not from freehold, you're from somewhere else. That's how you would think it. But you see, if I said to you, my house, or I'm sorry, my descent, my origination is not from freehold, but I am a resident here to try to improve freehold, where I am from, is Trenton, New Jersey, the beautiful Trenton, New Jersey. And I want to bring that Trenton and the power of Trenton here into freehold. That's what Jesus is saying, okay? My kingdom is not the sort that comes from this world. It's not the sort that grows from this realm. 
And that's the, a good translation of uh, my kingdom is not of this realm. He's really saying my kingdom is not from this place. So the kingdom is not from here, but it's for here. Remember that. The kingdom of God is not, the power of the kingdom of God is not from here, but it's for here. And that's what we must understand. And when we do that, when we do understand that, it takes the context of our salvation and it puts it in a whole different bracket. Because now no longer am I thinking, well, let me just get out of here and get off to heaven. No, wait a second. If I'm part of a kingdom that has started now, what is my part in this? Why? What, what is all this about? You see, it takes our salvation from the point of going, wow, I am saved. I am rescued. Where are we rescued from in the Bible? It says, we're, don't say hell. We're rescued from judgment and God's justice. Yes, that ultimately will result in hell if you reject Christ. But our rescue is from this present age. That's what the Bible says. God rescued us from this present age and put us into the kingdom of his son. Oh, there's a purpose. There's a purpose for that. You see, you weren't saved just so that way you can go to heaven when you die and then be resurrected. You were saved to be a part of the kingdom process that Jesus started at his death and resurrection. And that is what the paradigm shift, when that happens, it puts your life, your goal, your mission, your purpose in a whole different bracket. It, it means everything means something to God. We were saying in Sunday school, out of all the times in history, out of all the people that could have been created, God created you and he put you here. At this time and in this point in history, with this little tiny itty bitty belief of a screen life that you have, it's going to be gone like this. Why did he do it? To build for his kingdom, to be a part of it. Regardless of where you're at, what you do, what your skills are, what your talents are, that's what he has for you. That's why he saved you. See, it makes getting saved from hell, okay, definitely don't want that, don't want God's justice. But God, you saved me for something like that big that you are creating this kingdom, this realm, and you're using your church and your people to build for it, to bring it into this present world. As, the, as this age is declining, God's age is moving forward. It's breaking in. And that's what the kingdom of, why the kingdom of God and understanding it in this sense is so important. Now, that's point one. Point two, here's what else the kingdom of God is. This is what the kingdom of God actually means. When you read kingdom, when you go into another king's domain, you go into somebody's kingdom, what separates their kingdom from this kingdom over here, other than maybe different kings, there is different rules. This kingdom operates one way, that kingdom operates another way. Jesus' kingdom operates in a way different way than earthly kingdoms do. His kingdom grows through love, pain, suffering, and tribulation, and the word of God, getting people through those things. God's kingdom meets the world, the current world, at the point where it suffers the most, the point of pain. That's where God's kingdom breaks in. With love being added in there, then the kingdom grows. It doesn't grow by military force. That pushes it away. You can't bring in God's kingdom by yourself. It's the Holy Spirit working through his church, through his people, through their gifts, through their skills, through why he made you. And now you're building for it and towards it. You're not building it. You're building for it. So when you hear God's kingdom, here's what I want you to think of, God's rule. It's God's rule bearing down on this present world. 
That is a, if you think about that, does God share his rule with anybody? No. That means he's fully king. He's fully in charge. God's rule, the kingdom of God, God's rule. What does this mean? Here's some other notes. Put it down. Royal power. It is his dominion. It is his realm. It is for the earth. Jesus came here. We'll jump forward a little bit to verse 37. You don't have it on the screen. I am a king. For this reason I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus was brought into the world to establish his kingship according to the justice of God. And he regained his throne. He took it back from Satan who usurped it. Now I'm going to give you a couple scriptures that show this very clearly. First of all, Acts 1, verse 9. After he said these things, he was lifted up. And as they were looking on, a cloud received him out of their sight. It's not a cloud like a rain cloud that received him. Jesus didn't, he wasn't a space got astronaut shooting out into outer space. He simply went up and was consumed by a cloud. I want you to think of the kingdom of God and heaven like this. Imagine this room right here, and there's a dividing wall right between us. Everybody sitting on this side has never met anybody sitting on that side. This over here is earth. This over here is heaven. You may, you may hear voices. You may get some sounds, but you will not see these people until what? This partition is taken down. It's like a duplex. Two people living in the same building, but it's separated by that wall. When Christ comes back, that wall will be completely gone, and you will, you, you will then know as you are known, the Bible says. So the, Jesus going off into heaven, getting consumed by a cloud, wasn't this a rocket ship taking him up. It was just him moving into that other dimension, which he was able to go in and out of. But the key word is cloud. A cloud received him out of their sight. Now ask any first century Jew about what and who the king is going to be, and they are going to point to to one or two specific scriptures. This one first, and that's Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Daniel kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, means he's going up. When you see the coming in the scripture, it's not here, it's going up to the throne. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and he was presented before him. He was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is a temporary dominion, No, an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. There's a lot of absolutes here. See, Jesus, when he ascended on high, he sat down on his throne. And at that point in time, his kingdom rule had began. And he said, all authority has been given to me. Who can deny the Lord's prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The source of the kingdom is in heaven, but we want to bring it here on earth. That's our job to implement that kingdom, to reflect that out to the world. So his prayer is fulfilled and it's answered. You know, What I'm really saying here is is something that most people will cringe at when they first hear it. Jesus started a theocracy. Yeah, it's a theocracy, folks. I know we hate to think that because when we think of theocracy, we think of priests 
running around, telling everybody what to do, ruling the civil government, ruling the church, and there's all sorts of corruptions and all that other stuff. No, that's not, what's, that's not what this I'm trying to say. Jesus is sovereign over the world and the kings of the world. He's sovereign over the civil government. The civil government is responsible to the king. The civil government is responsible to God for doing the right things and making the right laws. And over every other form of government, we talked about this before, we have civil government, we have church government, family government, and self-government. We are all, we all, all go to the king for what we're supposed to be doing. We behave as the king's subjects. There's no divisions, which is typically popular. Well, that kingdom over there is Satan's, and this kingdom over here is Jesus's, and it's in my heart, and I'm not going to get involved in that over there because this is what I'm supposed to do, and that's what he's supposed to do, and then at the end, God's going to work it all out. No, Jesus said that we are a kingdom of priests, and a royal, we're a royal priesthood. So we are the priests. Jesus is the high priest, the king, ruling over creation as well as individual hearts. 1 Peter 2.9 is the reference there. You see, when we think about the kingdom as futuristic, otherworldly, only in heaven, we come to a, a, a form of escapism. We come to a form of escapism. Things don't matter, and it's rightly so. For people that come to me and say, yeah, you know, this world is going to burn, and Jesus, when he comes back and brings his kingdom, we don't really have any purpose here other than sharing the gospel and just loving God and just hoping and praying that God's going to come and get me out of here. <clears throat> and then they tell me, well, I'm going down to the abortion clinic and I'm going to uh, try to stop some of these women and persuade them not to go in and have an abortion. I say, why? Why are you doing that? Why aren't you going out and just sharing the gospel with as many people as possible if all we're waiting for is to go stand before God and get to heaven? And sometimes they'll say, well, those people are really in sin, so I, I, I'm using it as an opportunity to share the gospel. Okay, that's good. But I would much rather them say, you know what? This is the Lord's kingdom. Murder is wrong. And I'm going there to represent Jesus Christ to let them know that they cannot be doing this and to let that police officer know standing at the door, protecting them, that he's supposed to be a minister of righteousness. He's not to call bad good and good bad. That's what he's doing. He's protecting evildoers. And yes, will I share the gospel with some? I will. But do you see the difference in mentality? The shift? Apply that to every aspect of your life. But apply it to politics. Apply it to art. Apply it to education, apply it to music, apply it to your job, to your family, to your wife, to everything. It's a lot different when you look at it as that. Forsake the get me out of here gospel hermeneutic, that escapism. Christ's rule is for here and now, and you have a part in it. What are you doing about it? I'm not an environmentalist. But if I take a bunch of trash and I throw it out my window, I don't think of the environment. I think of this is the Lord's kingdom and I'm littering it. It goes, it's a mentality that should seep into everything. Taking care of your body, taking care of your health. You're the Lord's, we talked about that. But you're also the, the Lord's tool for his kingdom purpose for you. Yeah, but you know what? It doesn't matter. We're all going to die. We're all going to stand before God. Eternity is what matters. And that's another word that we, we'll talk about next week when we talk about the when, or the two weeks whenever we talk about the when, we'll, we'll put, try to put that in biblical perspective as well. <clears throat> I want you to remember Jesus didn't save you from the world. He saved you for it because he's king. If he wasn't king yet, he would save you from the world as a good protector. He would save you from the world because I'm not king. This isn't my, uh, my territory. I, I can't really, I don't really have authority here. I'm only going to have authority when I come back, but I, have, I really do have authority in heaven, but not here. It just gets completely confusing. It's not, in my opinion, a biblical way to look at it. <clears throat> but I will say this. 
Eternal life, I'll give you a little hint. In the, in the scripture, in, the, in the, the, the word eternal life, when you see that, translated as life unto the age to come. If you look at it in Greek, it's life unto the age to come. But if Jesus launched that age and you've been transported into it, when does eternal life begin for the believer? Now. There's a continuity with your life. There's a continuity. There's going to be a, a straight line that you can draw from your life now all the way to the time you're resurrected from the dead, standing in a perfect heaven and a perfect earth. There's a continuity. There's also a discontinuity as well in certain aspects. But in terms of eternal life, it starts, the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about how we are to live as kingdom people. This is how the kingdom, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the persecuted, love your enemies. That's kingdom living. But when we don't know kingdom is now, we, we think about it as a futuristic thing. Guess what? That just becomes a really good moral pattern to live my life. Instead of going, wow, when I live this way, I'm building for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Third point, final point, the kingdom of God is the central theme of the gospel. The kingdom of God is the central theme of the gospel. It's the catalyst for the gospel. Okay, the catalyst is something that causes an event to happen. The gospel, without the kingdom of God starting when Jesus came to launch it, the gospel would not be good news. Jesus basically said, unless he's just talking about getting saved from hell, which we don't hear about that at all in the New Testament directly about the kingdom of God or the gospel. We, we, we see it, we allude to it, we, we extract it out. And yes, we know that the, he who believes in the Son has life, he doesn't, doesn't have life. John 3, 36, I believe, says the wrath of God abides on him. Yes, that's there. That's the warning. But before salvation can come, before justification can come, before sanctification, glorification, resurrection, before we can get all of those things from the only person that can provide them, which is the king, he has to establish his kingdom and defeat the enemy and the one that's currently ruling. Otherwise, none of those things can happen. You see, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel means what? Good news. Again, let's rewind. Let's put our Let's put our robes on and our belts and our sandals and go back to the first century. When you heard the good news, when you heard the gospel, it was always used in context of Caesar, the emperor's coming to town. He would send heralds in front of him. There's a new emperor. There's a new Caesar. There's going to be peace. There's going to be salvation. He is the son of God. That's what they would preach. And his whole entourage would come in. And people would worship him and they'd have a big insignia of Caesar, Augustus, son of God, the one and only king. It would be all over advertising everywhere. He would put his insignia. He would put Caesar, Augustus, the king, peace, prosperity. That's what the word gospel means. So when Israel would see this, they would be very frustrated. Then he's prancing around through Jerusalem when we are waiting for a king as a nation. <clears throat> so how do I get this? Put the, Isaiah 52, 7, 8. How lovely are the, on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the gospel, brings the good news. This is where the word gospel comes from. Who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voice. The watchmen saying, the heralds. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. So we see right here, gospel is directly tied into the king reigning. The good news, Jesus is in charge. He cannot claim or reclaim his kingdom until he is able to do what? Issue forgiveness. 
No one's allowed in the kingdom of God as a sinner. No one. Big problem for, the, for, for Israel, for all of us. But when Jesus died on the cross and procured forgiveness, now the kingdom can be launched and established and filled because exile is over. It's forgiveness time. Come into the kingdom. He will not turn you away. <clears throat> so some application here. The extent, purpose, and meaning of the gospel is limited without this understanding. We must understand that God, for me, you got me and my salvation versus God restoring the world through your salvation. See, look at Revelation 21, 22. That's the end. What is it? The new heavens and the new earth. The resurrection is a foreshadow of that. We are microcosms of Jesus' resurrection. We're new creatures going out there. For what purpose? Because we are now communing with the living God. We have the living God in us and we can go out. And as far as sin reaches and destroys and corrupts, the gospel restores and redeems. That's the extent of the gospel. It can go. But without the kingdom... It limits that gospel. So overview. What is the kingdom of God? It's the frame and climax of Israel's story. What is the kingdom of God? It's God's rule. It's his, it's his dominion bearing down on this earth, bearing down in this world. That rule can now be implemented again because sin is defeated. Evil has been wiped out, has been defeated. Satan has been defeated. Get off the throne, Satan. Get on the throne, Jesus. Institute your rule. What's God's rule? Love God with all your heart. Love one another. But what is eternal life? What does God expect from you? Believe on Jesus Christ. The central theme and the catalyst of the gospel is number three. So frame and climax of Israel's story, God's rule bearing down the central theme and catalyst of the gospel. <clears throat> now I'm going to just say, take a couple quick seconds and say, how do you enter into this kingdom? Now the kingdom is here. So you don't see anything. You don't, there's, there's, you don't see a physical kingdom kingdom, right? Well, this is it, his earth. It's God's rule. It's God's earth. But like Nicodemus, he came up to Jesus and he goes, wow, no one can do the things you're doing if God was not with him. And what does Jesus say? He plays off of the word. It's like, you think you could see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus? You think you're seeing the kingdom of God? You're watching all the miracles, but you're still blind. No, the only way you can see the kingdom of God, the only way you can understand what this word is saying right here is if you are born again. You have to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. God has to do a work in your heart. <clears throat> Secondly, you have to be as a child. You can't be prideful. You can't be puffed up. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into it. You just heard the word of God. Does it make sense? Are you hearing it? Are you understanding it? Jesus said that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to hear and understand to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to everyone else while seeing, they may see and not perceive. While hearing, they hear, but they don't understand. Otherwise, they would return and be forgiven. So if you can't hear and understand, I can't do anything about that. The Holy Spirit has to open it up. He has to show you. And the command is, yes, I could hear, Pat. Yes, Pat, I understand. Yes, Pat, I'm made alive in Christ. The word of God inside of me has made me born from above. Well, guess what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew 3, 2. There's no other way, no other way but the kingdom. There's no other way to enter but being made alive through God's Spirit, there's no shortcuts. And you know, funny because, well, not funny. I, I was just, I caught me the other day. There was this guy over in, um, was it in Hungary? His name on the court uh, papers were Sandor C. 
He was run over by a train. He was run over by a train and he lost both of his legs from the knees down. This happened back in July 2014. I don't know if you've heard the story. But after investigating the accident, the authorities found out that within that past year, he had taken out 14 high-risk life insurance policies. You see where this is going? He did it purposely. He, he laid down on a train track so he could receive, he calculated it would be $4.5 million in insurance. That's what he did. He gave up his legs. <laughs> I hate to see people here work their whole life trying to shortcut their way to God, working their whole life trying to work their way to God, trying to be that good person, trying to be, you know, let's do ministry. Let's give our money to the poor. Let, let me do all this stuff. And then you find out that, guess what? You were taking the long cut, not the shortcut. Because the shortcut is simply believing on Jesus Christ, believing his gospel, that he is enthroned. Here's the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, is royally enthroned over the world. The crucified and risen Jesus Christ is king. And all that come to him can be completely forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future and be given a completely new life. You will become a new creature when you come to Christ. And you will be made human. You'll be made renewed as the true human being reflecting God's image. Just call out to him. He will not reject you. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we praise you, Lord. We love you, God. We thank you, Father, for that we have such a, an amazing king, such a loving king, such a gentle king, Lord. And we thank you for bringing us into your kingdom. Please open our eyes, Lord. Let us be good subjects of the king, God. Show us what it is that we're doing, Lord, that how, give us a glimpse of that effectiveness, Lord. Show us through the scriptures how these things are so. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that you would save them by the blood of Christ even right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'd like to ask uh, our worship team to come on up. And as we sing this last song...